Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. I also wanted to say that today's episode is sponsored by my book. I have a book coming out. I'm so proud of this, guys. Um, the links are already up. I'll have them in the show notes. But the book is called Modern Still Life, From Fruit Bowls to Disco Balls. It is my take on a step-by-step painting book. I am really excited about it. Not only does it have like motivational tips and tricks to keep you going in your practice, but it also has clear and beautiful and full color breakdowns of the step-by-step process in my paintings. So I could not be more excited about it. If you wanted to check it out, pre-order it, it would help me more than you even know. Hello, welcome back to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari, thanks for being here. Today's episode is on being an art fluencer. <laughs> okay, guess that's the name of this. And just know that like using the word art fluencer, I'm using it very tongue in cheek. <laughs> And I was, you know, even when I was titling this, when I was writing out my notes, I was struggling if I wanted to use Artfluencer in like a reclaiming kind of way, or if I wanted to explain what that means. But I'm using it, I think, intentionally because the idea of like influencer, how many times have you watched a video where someone's like, oh, I'm, I guess I'm an influencer. I hate that, but I, I guess I am. I am always like, I understand what they mean by that. <laughs> I think there's no way to lose credibility to someone in the real world than to say you're an influencer. Like sometimes I'll explain to people that I'm an artist and then eventually the conversation comes out that like, oh, I sell through my social media platforms, etc. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, you're kind of like an art influencer. And I always struggle to not get taken to a back by that. But I guess it's not inherently a bad thing. It's just, it's associated with women and it's associated with social media. Both of those can be viewed with a critical lens, which is I suppose kind of the meat of the episode, which is why I'm gonna keep it as the title. (laughs) But just know I'm cringing all the while. This episode is about, it's kind of in response to an article that I really appreciated. I'm gonna link it in the show notes. It's called Everyone is a Sellout Now by Rebecca Jennings. It's a Vox article, it's free to read. This article is really interesting because it's basically talking about how everyone nowadays has to basically build a professional social media brand in order to further their careers. And I kind of think of it as like the analogy that I can think of is whenever I graduated college, which was like right after the recession, I think we were building back up a little, um, but it was it was in the wake of the recession. And there was article after article. I remember when I was in college and when I just got out of college, like how to submit a resume, how to stand out amongst the crowd, if you will. And it was always things like use a heavier cardstock or, you know, use a certain kind of font, put a picture at the top. Uh, you know, little did I realize later on that the real trick is know someone who works in the company. <laughs> but I feel like nowadays that certain more contemporary version of this conversation is in order to stand out or get ahead or even just be able to do it in the case of like I think anyone in the creative fields you have to build a brand and where yeah it's exhausting to like change your cardstock of your resume and put an extra picture I think sometimes we underestimate the labor that goes into building a brand and I don't say that in some self-congratulatory way I mean that in the sense of like it's a lot of extra work and I think that's kind of what happens when income inequality stratifies is the level of labor you have to put in to get the bare minimum or I wouldn't call it bare minimum but 
you know, to be able to compete, to be able to have like the basics in life, you know, a job that has healthcare and pays enough that you don't, you don't have to pick up a second job or something more, you have to put in more and more effort. There's more desperation. And so, yeah, why not throw on build a personal brand? Companies pay a ton of money if you have a decent following to post their thing, to share their thing. Like, why wouldn't you want all of your employees, especially if they're in any kind of front-facing aspect of your, your job, like your marketing or whatever, to have access to a larger audience or to have that skill set in addition to everything else? And I think I think that's where, I think the fact that it doesn't feel like there's an option anymore is what I took away from this article. And that emotion, I think, is what I get when I talk to people about social media you know I get peppered a lot with it I've you know I've helped to coach people I've had students who've asked about this but they're like you know what do I have to do in order to you know make it online as a social media artist that is a massive question and it feels as though the bar raises higher and higher with every gosh quarter it almost feels like and so I'm going to walk through this a little bit I'm going to tell you guys kind of my perspective you know, to give you kind of a brief rundown of my credentials, I have been making artwork. I made a, a, a post every single day to Instagram for, I don't know, what did it be? Eight and a half years since January 1st, 2016. Um, and I maybe, I mean this so earnestly, have taken maybe 12 days off in all those times. And 90, 85, 90% of those posts are original new pieces of artwork. You know, it was one new painting a day for many years (laughs) and um you know I I have a lot to say I think coming from my background as to why I think it's not entirely a bad thing why I, I like I'm very sensitive when people criticize sort of creator culture but also I'm deeply critical of it so if that sounds interesting let's just jump into today's episode So this article starts out with um, talking about someone who is trying to sell a book to like the top five publishers. They they love the book. It's like um, an online business industrial complex uh, book based in that, and um, everyone loves it. But they are you know hesitant to sign this author uh, because they don't have a large platform and they don't have like a personal brand associated with it. And it sort of starts out by asking the question like are we missing out on good art are good artists missing out on opportunities because they just haven't put in a brand and why is that ultimately maybe a bad thing I think it's fair to jump into that (laughs) um she does I think in this article have like a pretty like unbiased like her viewpoint she argues both sides pretty well and I think that's because there are definitely two sides (laughs) like two distinct viewpoints in this conversation and I think the nuance is obviously somewhere in the middle and that's because you know there are people tend to be pretty polarized there's a lot of people within the context of like the creator economy who are very passionate that social media is the way forward you know there's this more radical version of that conversation who says you know to hell with state borders and nationalities the future will be a global blockchain it will be a you know all of us will connect to our audience and you know to the the point of that the internet certainly has created an enormous amount of opportunity. I even think of it in the micro example of with the the cup controversy that I mentioned last year. You know, people were frustrated that that ceramicist was charging so much for these cups. And I don't think it was an exorbitant amount. Maybe it's because I have one foot in like the fine art world where someone can tape a banana to a wall for $120,000. But um, 
anyways, <laughs> uh, and I think what happened is they realized that this content creator, um, this artist, this ceramicist, has an enormous reach and they are able to cast a wider net you know if only one out of every hundred people is willing to spend that amount on a handmade ceramic cup if you can cast a wide enough net you can sustain yourself off of that somewhat niche value or that niche price point and um you know if that person could only sell their artwork in their neighborhood or in their city in order to compensate for not having a wide enough net, they would probably have to lower the price and maybe to a point where that wouldn't be a sustainable business model. And in that instance, we would not have an artist. So I think the fact that it's precarious to be an artist and it's precarious to have a job, <laughs> I think that that's the meat of this conversation more than is this particular version of you know social media dystopia is this the silver bullet bad guy and everything. And I don't think that's how the article argues. But that's kind of where the, the people who are arguing for it, I think a lot, of, a lot of that passion comes from. On the other hand, you have people who are frustrated that their 65-year-old mom is being encouraged through their work to put a ton of energy into building a LinkedIn brand so that they can move up in their own career. So the big con here, and I'm sure I don't have to talk about this too much at length because it's something, again, I hear reflected back in a lot of artists, is that in addition to making artwork, and in addition to uh, trying to sell that artwork, they're having to build a brand to overcome really challenging algorithms in order to cast a wide enough net to reach enough people. And what I think is really interesting is whenever I kind of gained some traction on social media initially many years ago, um, so like 2018, 2019 was kind of my moment um, because I posted for a couple of years with like no following. <laughs> I just did it because I was trying to be consistent and you know eventually I got enough like local gigs to kind of sustain myself but social media was still like it was where I was accountable but as far as like my business strategy it was very much a small arm of my business <laughs> um, until it wasn't and you know I think about what it felt like then you know I got asked onto a lot of podcasts again in like 2018, 19, 2020 asking about social media specifically and I'm always careful because I, I try not to talk about it now and I try not to talk about like too many social media tips other than I'm always talking about boundaries and protecting yourself um, again if you read this article you'll kind of see why but because I know that the social media that I the ecosystem I kind of um, gain traction in basically doesn't exist anymore you know when I started social media in 2016 we were still chronological <laughs> so people would see in their feed at time of when you posted and then you know algorithm 1.0 and 2.0 and 3.0 were all pretty rudimentary like you could still use hashtags to find smaller more niche communities hashtags were still kind of like a manual way you could kind of plug in <laughs> and find those smaller groups so you could do like central texas women artists or you know young mom artists or mom artists texas or something and you could find kind of a smaller community where it feels like now you know in some ways the algorithm feels really specific like you think about cat litter and then you see videos on cat litter <laughs> but in other ways i find it to be harder like you almost have to appeal to everyone where you could appeal to a niche in the past in order to get any kind of traction and it's because it feels like they show especially like on tiktok or to some degree on reels you know your art to some random sample audience right away and if a certain percentage of those people don't like it 
they bat it down without even giving it a chance to see the rest of your audience, which is really frustrating because the only kind of art that can make it out of that kind of a, I don't know, an initial showing <laughs> is going to be art that either doesn't need context and art that is really novel. Um, and this is kind of something I've been thinking about a lot is for artists, you have this axis, you know, this graph, this like X graph. And, uh, you know, one of those lines is context. At one extreme, you have needs lots of context. And at the other extreme, needs no context. And then the other direction, you have um, novel, like very unique, never been done, new, and not novel. And there's art that is great, that occupies every part of that, right? <laughs> An example of a not novel piece of artwork that doesn't need context is a beach scene. To do a good job painting a beach scene, that's great. A lot of people want beaches in their house. That is its own <laughs> industry. And if you do a really good job of it, you can get some traction with that. Uh, you know, the other side is not novel, but needs context. That I think of, there's a guy I know local to me who paints um, pictures of people's trash. So he will go out and see on the street corner their trash and he paints it in really great detail and it's very realistic and colorful and beautiful and large. Um, the context is that he doesn't, he only, he's very intentional with, with the angle he chooses, but he never touches the art. And I feel like that's context that really activates his artwork. The fact that he's not making it up, that it's real, that the way that whoever hauled it out to the curb is the way you see it in the painting is context that's really interesting but doesn't always get the point across right away. And that's just one example. There's lots of art where like you really have to have the full context of the person, their struggle, the community, whatever it is, that if you show someone something in 10 seconds in, they don't get it, they're gonna swipe it away and it's never gonna have a chance. Um, you also of course have art that's really novel <laughs> and needs context. And then you have art, which I think is like, crack for the algorithm which is novel and needs no context i started shopping this idea around with my disco balls <laughs> and that was by far my most successful body of work because you don't need context to understand them they're like shiny and it's an optical illusion and they're very colorful and when i first started painting them they were incredibly novel to the best of my abilities <laughs> and i'm sure someone did it at some point but for sure not on the internet at least in 2019 um there weren't people using circle canvas to sort of create the trompe l'oeil sort of optical illusion of making it look three-dimensional on a circle canvas. Um, and it was, yeah, it was like, it was like crack for the algorithm. And uh, I think what's frustrating is that the algorithms are set up in a way where it's, it's even forcing people to shape their art and what they make. And I think that's the most important point in this article that I read, where I think that's the real risk is you potentially have people spending more time on marketing or making creative choices in order to please an algorithm because their income depends on it. You know, there's this idea that the author of the article talks about and that's the concept of being a sellout. And I never loved that. I grew up with Gen Xers who were very into the idea of being a sellout. <laughs> you know, in fact, my dad, I remember he loved Nirvana and part of why he loved Nirvana was because they weren't sellouts. <laughs> and I, I, in hindsight, I just think that that's very funny. I think a lens that you can look at it in because, you know, think about like Gen Xers and when they were, you know, and this is a, I don't like speaking of generalizations too much, but it is a marketing term and we are talking about marketing, so I will indulge. Um, but Gen Xers grew up, you know, the generation after the baby boomers, uh, you know, still in a, in a relatively fruitful, assuming you were like, 
you know, white and able-bodied for the most part, you know, general, I'm speaking in broad strokes here, um, you still had a pretty decent access to quite a bit of, you know, you could in 1992, and yes, there was a bit of an economic downturn. I'm not saying like it was roses. I don't know that there was ever any point of time that everything was truly probably perfect economically for the middle chunk of America. Uh, But, you know, in 1992, you could work at Burger King and, you know, rent an apartment with kids in it. And was it tough? Sure. But like you could do it. You could, you could do it and you could be bummed that you're working at Burger King and you could still have aspirations. But if you just idled in place working at Burger King, your kids weren't going to go hungry. (laughs) That's not the case anymore. And I think when you don't, I, I hate the phrase selling out, you know, not because I don't, not because I enjoy selling out. I certainly think it happens. I think someone who's a really creative person who doesn't have a social safety net, who doesn't have any resources and who needs to keep their art business going might make something that a lot of people consider a sellout to keep the lights on in an attempt to get ahead enough in the rat race so that they can go back to making, you know, whatever inspires them. You know, I see something like that and I don't think, oh, that's a bad person who's not choosing starvation over creative integrity, I say that is a symptom of an exploitative uh, economic system. And, you know, and so that's what, whenever I think of sellout, I sort of think of that. Getting back to in the beginning, whenever I had my initial sort of uh, traction with my followers and how the fact that it was a different algorithm, something that I would get asked a lot in those interviews would be, do you think that social media has democratized artwork? Or being an artist. Whenever I'd get asked about democratization, uh, you know, my gut instinct is always to be like, yes, certainly for my case, it was, you know, had not it been for social media, had I not plugged into social media in the same way that I was instructed to plug into a community in, in a bigger city, you know, when I graduated 2014, my painting professor who had an MFA and, you know, from School of Visual Art in New York and was a working artist in addition to being a professor. He told us like, hey, if you don't go to a big city and pound pavement and show up and spend half of your day, you know, working a job to help you keep the lights on and spend half of your day making artwork for free because it's, you know, the integrity and it's your life's mission. And then the other half of your day, (laughs) mathematically correct, um, going out and schmoozing and partying and making a network and meeting people and do that for as long as you can without getting sick or pregnant or you know, anything that can throw you off your singular vision, if you can't pull that off, you will not be an artist unless, and certainly a bunch of us yokels from the Ozarks were not this, but unless you had the connections, the wealth, um, the location to get yourself into a place where you could do something like that. And obviously not entirely in broad strokes, but there is certainly data that backs up that, you know, if you don't have some of those things like wealth and connections, that that was your best shot. In fact, it, it may not have even been too crazy to say like, you know, because at the time, I remember the statistic where only 5% of uh, art studio art students who graduated with their bachelors in studio art were making art actively five years later. All that to say, <laughs> you know, incredibly hard at that point to continue to make doing art to keep doing art and that wasn't even saying doing art professionally that was just saying are you still even making art so to even land a job where you have the luxury of free time that you can do it as a hobby because like I mean what's more not selling out than doing that (laughs) is an incredible you know rarity and I think that that's the landscape that I came into in addition to that you know 
I grew up with parents who worked themselves to the bone, who worked jobs and, you know, hot warehouses with no air conditioning and picked up other side jobs and worked caring for children and then would also do kind of under the table work and, you know, work, 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 work. You know, my, (laughs) between being an arts major growing up with that context, you know, the fact that all I have to do is work myself raw and be incredibly consistent and never take breaks and constantly promote yourself. And you have a shot at doing something that my parents would have never had the opportunity to do, which is have a even a shred of prestige around their job and also maybe pay to be able to do art and sustain yourself to some capacity. Um, and I think that that shapes my view of it, not to say that I'm passionately for it, but to say... On one hand, I understand why enough of us have put up with the pressure to create a brand because you just want the shot to be able to reach something that is unfortunately more and more rare in our culture, which is just kind of a normal middle-class life with like maybe a sprinkling of the prestige that comes with working in the arts. Unfortunately, I understand why so many people are running themselves raw personally in order to achieve that goal. Another thing I really liked in the article was there is a point where she talks about how musical artists, because of the way that labels work and how artists get paid less and how you're no longer, you know, curated, you know, you don't, you don't get a record deal signed where then they do the marketing for you and they help you come up with an image, Uh, you know, which I will say like, even that at some point was contentious. I remember watching movies like, what is it? Or like shows like VH1 behind the music really dating myself here when I was a kid and so many of the themes would be like and they disagree with the record label the record label wanted them to make a hit and they didn't want to and you know so it's it's never been a cakewalk for creatives but now the the trade-off for in theory creative freedom is that you just have to play the algorithm and you just have to have the song of the summer which brings me to the point where they make someone made a video saying did I just make the song of the summer? If you've seen it on TikTok, if you've been on TikTok, <laughs> and then they play their music, and it's always like, you know, painfully good. I always feel bad that you, you know, have to do stuff like this in order to get your music seen. That being said, go follow small artists if you can. Anyways, and then somebody made a video, a TikTok video, stitching and responding, saying, "Could you imagine Tom York of Radiohead having to sit in his car and make a? Did I just make the song of the summer?" <laughs> TikTok, and you know, kind of contrasting it into artists. Uh, you know, the takeaway I get is there's this romanticization of artists in the past, visual artists, authors, whatever, who got to just be cool because they didn't have to be so plugged in and self promoting which brings me to, I think, kind of the biggest issue with a lot of it is just how much, how uncomfortable it is to have to be your own artist and marketer Uh, I always tell students that the way I've envisioned this is you have to separate the two you have to keep as much of a boundary and a buffer between those two different perspectives and intentions like in an ideal situation you would sit down to make art and you would never entertain is this going to do well in the algorithm easier said than done and as I was alluding to earlier it is becoming more and more of a privilege to be able to do so and so I'm not I'm not (laughs) trying not to be prescriptive here but to the best of your ability, try to just make what is authentic to you. Um, and then on the other hand, once you become a marketer, don't let the artist tell you everything's cringe. Because yes, promoting yourself is, it's uncomfortable because I don't think we're supposed to do it. You know, it's its one thing to believe in yourself. And I think it's something that I feel like is like an aspect of our culture 
where because so many people are not necessarily granted their humanity, we've come to a certain part of our culture where within certain, you know, certainly something I have felt (laughs) in my own life is like the constant need to prove yourself to say that I am as valuable as older established male artists, you know, as they were at the same point in their career. I'm not comparing myself necessarily. I don't think it's... (laughs) It feels natural to have to constantly promote yourself. I always look to the ideal as like my, like when I'm orienting myself. And I feel like in an ideal world, we have a community that to some degree validates us. Not over the top, but like, hey, you're particularly good at calming down the children. Or hey, you're really good at, you know, timing out what we do in a day where we don't let time get away from us. Like we would all have these things that are like not the most groundbreaking aspects to who we are. You know, we're not like a creative genius, but we have skills. We all have a handful of them and a community would be able to call them all out because there wouldn't be a weird, stupid, completely illogical hierarchy. And, and that we would have that confidence from the security of not having to sort of (laughs) fight against an imposed hierarchy Something that first kind of led me down this path of like maybe self-promotion isn't inherent and natural because I remember reading this book many, many years ago, I think in college called Quiet by Sarah Kay, I believe. And she talked about how in our culture, it's so important to be charismatic and outgoing. And I remember thinking that that was just like a default good thing in the same way that it's important to not litter and be kind and, you know, whatever obvious virtues, share, listen, be respectful. I remember thinking that being charismatic was just another important aspect. And as someone who is, was a special, I mean, still am, let's be honest, awkward and not charismatic, I remember feeling like it was a moral failing. And when I read this book about introversion and being quiet, there was a part where she compared it to cultures in East Asia and how what we might perceive in the West, especially in the United States, as a good attribute of being able to call the attention in a room and control a conversation and to be loud and gregarious and extroverted within, you know, I think she was specifically referencing Japanese and Korean culture. Um, Those same attributes would be seen as boastful and, uh, you know, they're not saving face. (laughs) It's not, you know, not communally focused. And there's more of a pride in humility and how humility is almost valued in the opposite direction as like charisma is in the west and again more specifically in the united states and i remember that kind of like changed my mind because like it was really impactful for me (laughs) because i started to think that all the things and attributes that feel good and, and important and valuable here like they don't necessarily translate across culture and that and it got me critically thinking about that so i think what's happening is that we we're pushing what is already not like a you know, in the, in the way that we know that not being violent to someone, especially who doesn't provoke it, is like an across the world human, like all cultures think that that's bad. <laughs> We've taken an attribute that isn't inherently good in the same capacity, isn't inherently pro-social in a sort of evolutionary point of view, and we've put it up on a pedestal and then we've cranked the heat all the way up on it. And so of course it kind of feels yucky to us. It's not it's not inherent. It's not that like you don't necessarily have imposter syndrome. It's that to be boastful in a way 24/7. And I think the author of this article mentions it in a really important way like you know, especially if you're a woman where you're there is some social conditioning that you aren't supposed to be so boastful. Um 
I think it is, it, it's, it causes a lot of us who are, I think, a little more sensitive, a lot of distress. It's not just not having confidence. It's, you know, confidence would be like you're able to show it up, but having your income and your job prospects hinge on your ability to control an internet-wide conversation around something that maybe you're not so confident on, but you're confident enough that you could try to make a conversation so that you could try to make a splash, so that you could try to get views on Twitter and that can maybe translate to LinkedIn, like that's extending yourself tremendously. And one thing I've always learned from being on social media is like you don't want to overextend yourself. You want to talk about things that you're really, really confident and passionate about. And you don't want to talk to just talk. You don't want to make art to just make art. And I think that kind of in lies like the biggest issue is that we're valuing something that isn't always inherently good, especially when it only seeks to serve its own interests in the interest of capitalism. Last point I'll kind of say on this before I get to some like little bits of advice (laughs) is we're kind of sitting on the backlash of the Grammys oh my gosh I promise you I'm not a pop culture podcast all the way anyways (laughs) but there was this fallout from Taylor Swift and I think she's very interesting to study um as a person because I think we all can like project quite a lot onto her so this is not a don't view this as like just a criticism of her I my personal journey with Taylor Swift is that I did not like her when we're about the same age I think she's two years older than me when she was in her like speak now debut era because of internalized misogyny (laughs) I thought that if I liked classic rock my dad would love me more Uh, (laughs) anyways so I just didn't mess with her music and then I was older and I started listening to I think red was I start and I did start to like it and then I think by like reputation and folklore I was like oh this this person makes very good music to me. Is it the best ever? No, I, I certainly, you know, no. But, you know, top 20 for sure. So um, that's kind of my my bias there. But I think the Grammys were really interesting. So this was her 13th Grammy, the one she accepted, I believe, from Celine Dion. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I imagine, you know, Taylor Swift's interesting because I think she said in interviews that if she wasn't a musician, that she would work in marketing. And if I remember correctly, her mom worked in marketing. And I I can see this from her. And from someone else who also has kind of this weird enjoyment of marketing, of communicating visuals to a wide range of people who who could see also myself in another world, maybe enjoying it. (laughs) I see her accepting her 13th Grammy as something that's probably gotten her through hard times. Now granted, she's an incredibly privileged person. And I think her privilege often (laughs) blinds her to a self-awareness that that kind of visibility demands from you. (laughs) But I can imagine that during her hard times, and I'm not invalidating them, you know, she's had the whole internet come after her, (laughs) that she probably used walking up to get her 13th Grammy, because the 13 is like an important number to her, as like a light at the end of the tunnel, right? As a way to be like, you know, it's her singing mean at the Grammys after that critic roasted her to shreds for her singing ability. I, I think I think that that's how she operates. I think part of why she's so successful is because she is probably one of the best living self-mythologizers of all time. She is someone who creates her own context constantly. And I understand it to some degree because she started her career as a young female uh, making girly pop country glitter dress music. And if there's anything I know from making a whole body of work dedicated to teenage, you know, adolescence, consumer culture is, yeah, you're really, really undervalued 
in that arena. It, it, it's like no matter how skilled you are, if you coat it in glitter, people are only going to be able to see glitter. And I think there's some truth to you kind of are stunted wherever it was that you became famous. And I, I feel like she's never stopped feeling like everyone undervalues her, despite the fact that she has easily become one of the most impactful uh, and influential people, if not maybe musicians, people, I don't know, you, you tell me. My algorithms are probably all skewed. <laughs> and yet, I think I think the reason why she was able to skid past Celine Dion, who is not only an icon in her own right, but also like this could be her last uh, public appearance. Like from what I heard recently, <laughs> And I, this is all through, I like, I'm totally a mom. Like I'm hearing all this through the grapevine, but you know, she was really struggling with her physical health. And so seeing her on stage, I was kind of shocked. I kind of had this like, oh, I thought things were really grim. I'm glad they're not. I wish her health and recovery and love. And I, I have nothing but well wishes for her, you know, tremendously goodwill towards her. Um, but I think the fact that she was on stage and she handed an award when sort of the normal thing to do is to thank whoever gave you an award, the fact that Taylor Swift skidded past it, I don't think it's because she's a malicious person. I think she is self-mythologized to the point where she basically has blinders on. And I think that that's, I had to point to kind of one issue with all of this, it's that self-promotion can often blind us to our own humanity. And I think when capitalism is already pushing us to exploit ourselves to have to explore ourselves in a way that also reinforces being less of a human and more of a commodity is like just this strange, <laughs> completely dehumanizing, I think of like the simulacra, like you, you start out yourself and then your art is like an interpretation of yourself. And then the marketing of yourself is like an interpolation of the art of yourself. And then the 30 second TikTok to get you to come to your social media account is like, it's, it's like the simulacra is like you have the apple and then you have the apple pie, which is an abstract of the apple. And then you have the apple pie scented candle. And then you have the like abstractly scented body spray, that hints of spring apple that's called like crispy crazy or something. It's just you become so distorted and you're doing it so that you can pay your bills or be the most successful pop star or whatever. And I think it's just hard to express. That's why I had dedicated a whole podcast to us. But it's that that for me always strikes me as strange. <laughs> and it's a hard thing to deal with. And it's not me like rejecting it or complaining about it necessarily at all. I'm always beyond grateful. You know, I always say like if you're lucky in life, you pick your problems. And so I, I will never... <laughs> Never complain. And if I do, it'll be to a group chat. <laughs> so, you know, this isn't me so much as complaining. It's just I really wanted to process this article. I wanted to kind of share my thoughts on it. And the last thing I'll say, because I always try to have and like impart some like real practical advice so that these episodes don't just feel like me navel gazing <laughs> to reinforce the thesis of this episode. But I would say, you know, this is why I, I'm always a big fan of being a part-time artist. I have an episode from last season where it's in honor of the part-time artist. And a part of why I say that is because, you know, I'm intimately aware of how exhausting and how much it does pull from your creative labor to also do the work of branding yourself and reaching out and kind of everything that that entails. I would also say that like if you can't keep up with it, it's not a personal flaw. Charisma, reach, marketing skills aren't 
a virtue. They are a set of skills that happen to do very well and almost feel vital in today's day and age. But if you don't have those things and however you choose to cope with it, whether it's walking away from your artwork, whether it's finding other jobs or just being bitter, like I get it. Like I, you know, I I wanted to make this as someone who like posts all the time and gets comments from people being like, you, you, all you do is make a lot of work and you don't make any meaningful work. Like, you know, I, I always want to, you know, I don't know, share enough of myself and my story to, you know, just because someone's succeeding at it doesn't mean that they're good or they have it all figured out or that they have something that you don't have or that you're lacking. It's just the particular twist of fate of our current (laughs) world and how we value artists you know where 20 years ago you would have never even been able to entertain the idea of being an artist now being an artist is in your hand it's a couple of tiktoks away you can do it and so I think it's that fact that it's tantalizingly close and yet at the other end of your humanity that makes it such a complicated thing to sort through so I don't know. I have lots of other episodes on social media. If you have any other more specific practical questions, let me know. This episode is getting way too long. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully some of it was helpful. I would love to hear y'all's thoughts on this or if I missed something or I totally was like blind to something. All very par for the course for me, unfortunately. Let me know. Thank you again. Take care. Happy creating and protect your energy. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for being here. I wanted to also encourage you guys to leave a review. The feedback is incredibly helpful. And if you leave a review, I will read your handle or your name on the following week's episode. Take care y'all and happy creating.